Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. This is Soundtrack Your Life. I'm Ryan Pack, and this is a soundtrack podcast where I talk to someone about a soundtrack that they have a connection to. Today we have Hannah and Lily from Society Owes Me a Genix podcast, and you can find their podcast on all platforms. Today we're going to talk about the Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous. So welcome back, Hannah and Lily. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Ryan. Hi there. So this is a year 2000 film, so why are we talking about Almost Famous today? Oh, now that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah, because we're a 90s podcast, but I still think, although this isn't a 90s film, it's massively relevant. Obviously, it was filmed in 1999, and that gives us a total pass. (laughs) (laughs) And conceived long before, definitely around about the time that our parents were meeting each other and going out and seeing bands and stuff. So a lot of relevance, I feel like, for us. And it's Cameron Crowe, and I mean, you don't get more Gen X than Cameron Crowe. Yeah, all day long. Our collective, one of our collective favourite movies is... And always will be singles, <laughs> even though it's daft in parts. And I'm not sure if it's dated terrifically well, but I mean, it's just got the most amazing, incredible music on on that soundtrack. So we trust Cameron, yeah. whichever direction he wants to go in. But, you know, I was thinking earlier today about why... So I love Almost Famous, and it is like a, you know, coming-of-age movie, I guess. But although I love it, it isn't one of those films that I would say massively impacted my life because it came out in 2000, you know, so I, I already had come of age, you know, I was, I was 20 then, you were a bit older, weren't you, Lily? So I don't Not know. Not that much older. <laughs> little bit. Always like to get months. that in. Maybe more like 23 now I think about it. But I'm I mean, working out today, if you like. <laughs> no, you're fine. Just do that. <laughs> but I think, yeah, like, so it, it's not, a fi- it's not like, you know, singles and reality bites for me are like the really, really big ones, obviously, you know, reality bites isn't camera code, but um, those are the ones that I felt that, you know, although the characters there were a lot older than I was when I saw them, they're the films that I always come back to that because I think I saw them at that age where I was really impressionable, you know, for, I don't know, 14, 15, 16, whatever it is. And I think if Almost Famous had come out when I was that age, it would have had a massive, massive impact on me because I wanted to be a music journalist. You know, that's all I wanted to do at that age was write for the Melody Maker or the Enemy, you know, or the Rolling Stone. So I think I would have identified massively with um, with young, uh, what's his face, William? Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> it was William, isn't it? Yeah, William, William yes. Miller. Um, but yeah, I think just just because when it came out, it's it's not the same. But still, ace film. I don't know. I graduated in this year. I moved to London in this year. And uh, my brother loved this movie. He had the DVD. He played it all the time. So we watched it a whole ton. And I think that was another stage of coming of age, you know, Mm. that kind of being 21, 22. And and so, yeah, for me, it was absolutely just a heralding of another dawn of, you know, new you, I guess. Yeah, I remember being, I think I was graduating high school when this movie came out. 
and I wanted to be a music journalist. And coincidentally, my friend and I had started kind of creating a music website where we could, you know, interview bands and review music, mostly just to, you know, freshen up the college resume. Awesome. Well, I kind of done a similar thing. I had a fanzine, but I was kind of finishing it at this age. I like to think that, you know, the podcast that we do now is like the, not, what is it? The 20, what are we in? 2020s equivalent of a fanzine, really. Doing the same yeah. <laughs> we did 20, 30 years ago, but yeah. Different format. Yeah. So I remember being like, oh, I'm like this guy, which was, you know, Cameron Crowe, but a fictional version of him. <laughs> Maybe not as talented. I didn't skip a bunch of grades. <laughs> oh, I love that bit. <laughs> it's it's so unbelievable. You know, yeah. if, if you came to this movie and you really didn't know that it was based on his life, and I'm betting a lot of people don't know that, mm. you know, or didn't know that at the time. I mean, it's one of those things where you couldn't make it up, could you? you know. Like you'd be like, come on, this didn't really happen. You know, this happens to nobody. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's like a male Cinderella story. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like touring, come on. It's like the best thing ever for someone who loves music. Yeah. And whose mom, whose parents let you go on tour with the band? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I have to say, Frances McDormand just is absolutely incredible. Apparently, she became quite pally with Cameron Crowe's mum. I think he'd sort of tried to, because, you know, she she was around on set quite a lot. And apparently he'd said, like, you know, just leave Frances alone. But, um, <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she oh, didn't. An actress will always want to go to the source, won't they? Like, you know, just want to pick up those bits of them and bring them to life and stuff. So I can imagine, yeah. I think it was the other way around, though. I think the mum, I can't remember, is it Alice? What's the mum called? I can't remember. But I, I think she called Francis first, yeah. <laughs> and then Cameron apparently then went to Francis first to ask what the conversation had been about. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of, of Scream. You know when it went super meta? It was like maybe was it Scream Three where Parker Posey is playing Gail Weathers. Oh yes, yeah. In the movie, yeah. of a movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like just constantly around every corner and aping <laughs> every move she makes, and you know. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, she's. I mean, what an incredible cast. Of course, everybody wants to be in a Cameron Crowe movie, but uh, they really outdo themselves. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is incredible. Lester Bangs. I think oh, yeah. He apparently Jack Black and John Favreau mm. went up for the part, which is, I mean, actually Jack Black could have done it. I think he would have been excellent as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are, it's, it's amazing actually reading about how many people were considered for so many of the parts, mm. and you know how Kate Hudson ended up being Penny Lane because she was supposed to be the sister originally that Zoe Deschanel then ended up playing. What's this called? Mm. Anita. Anita. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't. Yeah. We're pulling away from the music. We are. We yeah, are. Let's we get are. back to the. <laughs> we were we were just talking earlier when we had him. We were saying about how some some tunes are just stand out from from the soundtrack as just those moments that take you back to that exact moment in the movie. And um, the Simon and Garfunkel track "America" really does that for me. You know, it's that kind of first part of the movie where things start moving forward, and you can sort of see where where we're headed and uh it's the poetry of drugs and promiscuous sex isn't it lily 
Not anymore, but I'm sure at the time. I love all the dialogue around that song, though, as well, because it's just after, is it after the age talk or before the age talk? Oh, so good. Yeah. 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 For us, adolescence is a marketing tool. (laughs) And then there's the discussion about, like, who, you know, uh, I can't remember what it is, but she she tells Anita, you were rebellious and ungrateful of my love. (laughs) It's so harsh. That's teenage girls having conversations with their mums, though, isn't it? Well, yeah. Well, and then deciding away. to leave home on the basis of it. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> we'll have to get pushed out of the nest somehow. Sometimes we push ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, that reminds me. I meant to look it up. But, you know, there's a brief bit where um, uh, Anita's boyfriend um, appears to, you know, drive off with her. Yeah. And is it is it Stifler? Stephen Steve is it Steve Stifler out of American Pie? If not, know. it looks a lot like him. Do you know Ryan? Do you know what I mean? I hadn't. I know who you're talking about. That's um, Sean William Scott. That's it. Yeah. Is it him though? In 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 Almost Famous? I don't believe so. Okay. Looky likey. Yeah, I don't remember that. But anyway, um, fantastic bit in the movie and. I was showing the soundtrack to my dad, who was obviously about 23 or 4, I think, at the time that this movie's supposed to be set, I think, isn't it 1973? Sounds about right. And um, his reaction to the soundtrack was really unusual because, I mean, he's a huge Who fan. He loves Paul Simon, Cat Stevens. You know, there's tons of stuff for him to love. And he was really, he was like, no, I don't know. He's a massive Beach Boys fan. Never heard that track before. It was one of their earlier ones, I think. He was just really like, oh, this was, oh, maybe it was on an album, but it was never a single, you know? So it it was my first understanding that they didn't use big tunes out Mm. of that time. You know how they do that when when people set a movie in a certain period of time and they want it to evoke that feeling and want to kind of prompt those memories from people who were around at that time and so they use those big tunes and and he didn't do that at all you know even tiny dancer was never a single i i never heard tiny dancer until i watched this movie and i felt like an idiot because i'd actually listened to quite a lot of elton john in was my it life for a single gosh i didn't no. know that um i was an au pair for an american lady in in france and she was the biggest elton john fan she had every single album and she made me listen to each one and you know, but her favourite was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, so we listened to that a lot. And, yeah, I just never heard it, so I was like, how is this possible? I felt like a dummy. But I kind of understand now. It's almost like he was taking this music, Cameron Crowe, and, and giving it to a different generation. He wasn't trying to say, hey, people of my age, you yeah. know, watch this movie and it will remind you of this time at all. It was like, hey, you know, there's there's all this good stuff that you won't have heard. Mm. I wonder if, if if with some of them though it was like a rights issue because I understand with the Led Zeppelin songs I think there's, there, there are four in the film like Cameron Crowe took a copy of the film to um to London and there was a special screening with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant and afterwards they gave him the rights to use one of their songs on the soundtrack and it had been the first time that they'd ever like agreed right to do that since since I think they there was Cashmere or, or I think was in Fast Times at Richmond exactly. High. Um, and then they, you know, let him use the other four songs as well. Um, but they didn't let him use Stairway to Heaven, which is obviously is the Led Zepp song. So I don't know. It could be that that was the case with some of the other songs as well. 
None of it. They, they let him use it when they wouldn't let anybody yeah. else, you yeah. know. He True. could have used probably a lot. You know, there's quite a back catalogue there. I mean, the Cat Stevens tune, I know that song because of, of this soundtrack. My mum is a massive Cat Stevens fan and I'd never heard him. So I was like, what the hell is going on? This is so strange. Um, but I will say, I also watched the movie with my mum. So that was my dad's kind of reaction to the soundtrack. Um, I watched the movie with my mum and she'd never seen it before. So this was a couple of months ago. And first of all, she loved it. Good. Secondly, I found out so much about her. So watch this with your parents if you're of a similar age to me, because I found out my mum loved Black Sabbath. As really? A yeah, she's so not a Sabbath fan that I, you would think. Yeah. Um, and that she had tons of uh, records. She saw The Who in Paris and, you know, it was just um, quite the revelation. My mum was a bit of a <laughs> brilliant cool chick and a... Not saying I didn't think that before, but you know, you know, it's also it's funny that you watched it with your mum as well. Because um, so I was reading, I was listening to um, a podcast. Can't remember who it's by now, but it's like a series. I think it came out on the twentieth anniversary of Almost Famous, and this guy gets like you know loads of the cast and everything to you know talk about the casting. To, to well, just it's like a six part series, I think. And he interviews um, Francis on it, and she talks about how when she was you know filming, she had a five year old son. And I think she'd rewatched it with him when he was like a teenager. And I think we've talked about it before when we were, we, we talked about this a little bit, didn't we? Um, oh yes, he is. And yeah, so I'm not at that stage yet, but I think, you know, it could be quite a useful film to watch with your adolescent children to sort of, yeah, explain things without having to have a direct conversation if you don't want to. <laughs> So for the 20th anniversary, they did a interview with Rolling Stone and Cameron Crowe, and they talk about that London screening. And apparently when the I am a golden God scene came, uh, Robert Plant just started laughing. <laughs> and I think that's when they realized that they were going to get the rights to the music. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I think he was very clever um, to make Stillwater this amalgam rather than pinning this... I don't know, certain types of behavior, shall we say, on any one particular band that he obviously is very good friends with and yeah. toured with and, and remains close with, um, certainly to hit them up for some rights now and then. It's an interesting thing, that bit, though, because I've read a couple of conflicting things about, you know, the Golden God thing. Also, I don't know, if you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> yeah. uh, have you seen the episode? I can't remember which episode it is now, but there's a bit where, um, yeah, the Golden God line is used and it's just amazing, amazing. Um, but, yeah, I've heard that, it, it, you know, it's, it's a reference to Robert Plant because apparently he said the same thing whilst he was um, looking over a hotel balcony on Sunset Strip. But then also I read that, um, oh, where is it that it was something that one of the Allman brothers did that I think Dwayne Allman um, jumped from the third floor of uh, a place called the Travel Lodge in San Francisco. So, yeah, who knows? Well, it could yeah, be he's one in Amalgam. Yeah. I think um, Robert Plant said it was him and he also said that wasn't even the weirdest thing that happened that night. That was like the least weird thing that happened. Yeah, that must so he doesn't really understand why everyone always references that as being <laughs> some bizarre moment. But, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, example of how he's just sort of cut and shut yeah. all of these. Um, and I think it was um, Glenn Fry from the Eagles who said 
like, I don't really care what you write, just make me look cool. <laughs> and, right. and has sort of, and maybe he denied that at first, but yeah, it was him. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Right. So in the year 2000, it was kind of hard to track down all the information for, you know, what, like what was true, what was fictional in the movie, who said what. So I think most people just assumed like this movie was just about him and Led Zeppelin because it's, you know, mostly about a singer and a guitarist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'd always thought that it was the Eagles, to be honest, because that's what, what I had read at some point that it was that he had toured with them and and that he had had some kind of role I think in you know or he'd he'd actually been living in the house when they were recording I think it was Take It to the Limit mm. I don't quote me on that but I, it was one of their early albums um and he was super into them and obviously they were on the um Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah but it really does focus on like just those two doesn't it I mean there are how many guys are there in the water is it four or five six <laughs> oh, no. oh. Hannah, okay, <laughs> cut this bit out, Ryan. <laughs> well, you've got Russell, you've got Jeff, haven't you? And then we've got uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Fallon, and then Mark Kozilek as well. He's the bassist. Is that it? Is that four of them? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna hazard four, but then I am notorious for forgetting the drummer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say five because usually, you know, because Jeff doesn't play an instrument. So you usually need a rhythm guitar for the lead guitars. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Who are we leaving out? It's yeah, terrible. No, there's, okay. Mike McCready. No, but he's not actually <laughs> in the band. He's with the band. Oh, we, we do have to go there, don't we? Mm especially as they've just played their first proper big gig back. Oh, I've been following on all the fan forums, like the oh, people posting pictures of, oh, God, I'd love, oh, what would you give them to be at Sea Here Now? It's Sea Here Now, isn't it? Yeah. And did you read that apparently Josh Klinghoff has joined the band? What? Oh, I thought he was supporting. Yeah. No, they said he was up there with, really? he's apparently now part of the touring band. Oh. I know, I tried to find more information. This was from Instagram. I was like scrabbling for. Yeah, because what's his band called? So I thought he was, well, he was supporting that. Yeah, but he's got his own yes, yes, outfit, yes, hasn't yes, he? Yes. I think he was supporting. I can't think of what it's called now, but yes, you're right. It's like and p I think. Anyway. No, he's, out of, he's out of the Chili Peppers now. <laughs> right. Yeah, because he's got his own thing going on. But I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, so Mike McCready is responsible for that gorgeous guitar. Oh, actually. In Stillwater. There is. Uh, I didn't I'm, know that for years, though, did you? No, no, I think it was you that told me on it. I've got another little um, Pearl Jam uh, tidbit, actually. So there's a bit where um, William is pulled into the, like they do a little huddle before they go on mm -hmm. stage. And apparently that is based on um, one time when Eddie Vedder pulled Cameron Crowe into Pearl Jam's huddle before um, playing at Lollapalooza. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. But it happened like you know, 20 years before. Um, but yeah. 20, would that make 20 sense? 20 years before what? No, maybe. Oh, I see what you're saying. Could it, yeah. Could have been... Anyway, yeah. fun fact. Eight years. <laughs> Sometimes Time scale might be a bit wrong. <laughs> you know, I, would, I knew Mike McCready was involved in Stillwater, but, you know, because in 2000 you didn't have Wikipedia, I thought he was the one that wrote the songs. But it, it turns out it's Nancy Wilson. 
I think, well, I, I think it's Nancy Wilson and Cameron Crowe wrote three of the five songs and the other two were Peter Frampton. And Peter Frampton had, like, yeah, was really heavily involved. So I think Cameron Crowe, when Cameron Crowe was 18, he wrote the liner notes for, like, one of the Frampton albums, like the, the live. Um, oh, no, he was... Frampton Comes Alive. He was 16. 16. Mm-hmm. Yes, for Frampton Comes Alive. Comes Even alive. more unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I know he wasn't 18 when he wrote those liner notes for one of the most famous rock albums of all time. He was 16. <laughs> yeah. well, well, it depends who you ask. If you ask his mum. <laughs> I think it's on the Uncool site, which is Cameron Crowe's yeah. website, where he's, he says, you know, he invited me to go into the studio. And he was like, why am I here? <laughs> and, and then he was like, here's this album. What do you think? And had him listen to it. And he was like, oh, wow. Like, this is a dream. And um, Peter Frampton had heard that he was like this prodigy and a really cool kid. And, and he was like, oh, maybe I want someone like that to give their honest opinion about it. Presumably if he enjoyed his honest opinion, but still. Yeah. What do the cool kids think? And then, yeah. Or the uncool kids. Yeah. Amazing. So, so he was kind of, you know, like returning the favor by being the sort of technical consultant on the film. And I, yeah, the same podcast that I was talking about, um, he was talking about how he was coaching Billy to play guitar because Billy didn't, you know, play guitar, but really, you know, wanted to do his proper homework and stuff to, you know, act to the best of his ability. So he was coaching him how to do it. And I don't think it was going particularly <clears throat> well, but in the end it was like, well, how, how can we make him just, you know, come across as if he, you know, is a skilled musician? And apparently Peter Frampton said uh, the best way to do it is in the middle of a solo, he needs to put his fingers in the right, you know, on the right places of the fretboard and throw his head back and just close his eyes. And (laughs) he did that and it was super mega convincing. (laughs) Well, I thought it was going to be something about making um, what people call your O face when you, you know, bend the string. O face? (laughs) you, You don't know about this? We're musical know-nothing when it comes to actual instruments. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I mean, apparently, uh, you, you know, if you watch someone that's, you know, noodling around and doing a solo, they kind of make an orgasm face when they're doing that. Oh, that oh, face. We call it sex face. <laughs> yeah, sex face. Sex face, O face. Okay. Yours is I, guess that, I guess that slang isn't translating over to the UK. <laughs> Yeah, a bit more blunt and <laughs> some things. Yeah, you throw back your head and you make an O face. Well, yeah, I guess that's what he was doing, you know, throwing his head back, closing his eyes, thinking of England is yeah, what we also say. <laughs> that's, yeah. I was going to I was gonna explain that further. I'm not going to. No, no. Let's stick with this. Yeah, that's good. Right, where should we go next? <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, I can't, I think in 2021, it's really hard to believe that Mark Kozalek and Jimmy Fallon could coexist in the same band. Yeah. Yeah. Another weird thing my dad was telling me, which I didn't know about the seventies was that it doesn't, it's not that weird that still a real band kind of thing with real people playing because they were a real band. Well, they were a real band. No, but but also there was another, yeah. Yes, but not this band. Yeah. This band was obviously made up and, you know, they were miming. But he said that most music um, that got recorded in sort of 
like mid maybe mid 60s to early 70s the band you know would be the band's music but if they couldn't get it right in a certain amount of takes in the studio they'd just be like don't worry about it and then they'd get better musicians in to do the piece and then that piece would end up on the album I think that's what they did with some of the Stillwater songs here because there was um oh, forget his name put it written down here so Marty Fredrickson um did the vocals I'm not sure if it was on all or some of the Stillwater songs, but yeah, it's certainly not Billy on all of them. Right. And, you know, apparently unbeknownst to a lot of the world, Jimmy Page is the session musician for a ton of music that came out in the seventies. Wow. And the sixties, like, you know, um, Van Morrison, um, the who, you know, all these kind of bands he wasn't in, but yeah. Played the music of because, you know, whoever it was, was in the band. Just wasn't feeling it that day, so they were like, "Never mind." <laughs> There's some really amazing guy we can get in instead. <laughs> God, they were spoiled, weren't they, in the seventies? Blimey! Just going going back to uh, the band though, Mark Kozilek. Uh, apparently, um, Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains was the first choice oh, for, for playing Larry Fellows, the bass player. But um, yeah, and he'd been in singles and Jerry Maguire before and was he'd good be, mates. He'd been good, he would have been amazing, but he was busy writing songs for his solo album degradation trip at the time so couldn't do it we've all been robbed no never forgive him (laughs) (laughs) he's made up for it i reckon (laughs) yeah oh another good one i think we've we've talked about todd rungren before haven't we various pods of ours anyway certainly when we were talking about empire records yeah um that's a that's a good that's a good 70s story isn't it yeah, I've got another Empire Records link, actually. So Penny Lane, the inspiration of Penny Lane was Penny Lane Trumbull um, and her group of female promoters, apparently, who called themselves the Flying Garter Girls Group. Um, but other inspirations um, to Crow were Pamela DeBar and Bebe Buell. Have I said that right? Bebe. Bebe Buell. Yeah who we have talked about yes. with you, Ryan, before on the Empire mm-hmm. Records episode because that's Liv Tyler's mum, isn't it? And yes. Wasn't she also married to Liv Tyler's stepdad? No. What's well, his face? She was, yes, she was with Todd Rundgren and then she had a bit of a fling. You know, we were on a break maybe. I'm not sure yeah. how well that <laughs> was received by Todd. But anyway, but then she got pregnant and she told Todd he was the father. That was it, And then yes. she told Liv that Todd is definitely your dad. So that that is her birth certificate name. And um, and then I think I, I think I read she was about 12 and she met Steven Tyler and the, you know, similarities were pretty unmistakable and I think she'd always maybe had suspicions so she just sort of basically came out with it and, and asked her mum who then was like, yeah, probably. <laughs> But then didn't she also marry that other guy who's in Empire Records? Oh, Coyote Shivers. Yeah, Coyote Shivers, that's it. Yes, she did. Uh, And we did speak at length about his strange, strangeness. Yeah, (laughs) so there you go. She was another muse for Penny Lane. Yeah, Todd Rundgren, um, he apparently started out as like a a producer. Oh, really? And a sound engineer. Um, And he worked with um, members of, you know, the band... Levon Helm and, and Robbie Robertson, and ended up engineering uh, the stage fight session for them, and then was like, actually, maybe, maybe I'm an, maybe I'm a musician too. <laughs> cool. 
He produced Bad Fingers Straight Up, Grand Funk Railroads Were an American Band, and the uh, New York Dolls self-titled album. I love him. I think he's great. Also Meatloaf. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I was about Meatloaf the other day. <laughs> she was, uh, she was, um... Was I? Yes, you were thinking back to your school discos. Oh, yeah. And I was saying Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you, was very popular when I was about 13 years old at the school disco. Yeah, as you, was... You had a different... Uh, what was the meat, the big meatloaf one? I, 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 will do, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, that song was everywhere. <laughs> Get away from that song for a long time, could you? He went from that to Fight Club. No, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot he was in Fight Club. That's one I have to rewatch. Actually, it's yeah, been a long old while. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Todd Rundgren has recently shown up in the news. Apparently, he was supposed to work on the new Kanye West album, but Kanye didn't use any of the, his contributions. Really, oh, dear. Oh, foolish Kanye. <laughs> yeah, right. Todd does not have very nice things to say about Kanye. I'll bet. <laughs> Well, and it's not because he didn't use any of his stuff. He was just like, I don't understand his creative process. He just seems to be wasting millions of dollars for no reason. Yeah, that does I think that's fair. part of his process. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the million dollars to spend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not just waste everyone's yeah. time? It's crap if it's not the most <laughs> expensive thing you've ever wasted. <laughs> How about you, Hannah? What's your favorite? Um, on the soundtrack oh oh i don't know possibly the chipmunks <laughs> <laughs> yes i feel like you have something to say about that please go ahead no uh i do i do have one thing to say about it which is that um where is it so jeff bibby jason lee was i think the, he was in the chipmunks movies he was the voice i think oh. was my... he was he was yeah. dave he was yeah he was in the the whole trilogy yeah He's the guy, he's, he's the one that asked the chipmunks if they're ready to sing that song. Yes, in that movie. And yeah. the one who just yells Alvin over and over again. <laughs> That's like yeah. his one line. Yeah. But the original, yeah, was from 1958, written by Ross Bagdazarian. Uh, hmm. There you go. Well, no, it's not my favorite. That's one of like 120 songs that are in the movie, but don't show up on the soundtrack. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I love River, the Joni Mitchell one. I think that's that's beautiful. You're a Joni Mitchell fan, aren't you? Yes, I listened to Joni Mitchell's Blue Album obsessively in the 90s, weirdly, from my dad's vinyl collection. Yeah, I think that one's beautiful. Actually, and there's a Christmas link between the Chipmunks one, because the Chipmunks song is uh, called the Chipmunks song Brackets Christmas Don't Be Late. Mm. And, of course, River takes borrows pretty heavily from jingle bells yes, does. <laughs> doesn't it which is kind of weird it? so it's got that christmas well, feel a, but it's... one of the lyrics is coming on christmas well yeah but it's not yeah i don't know it doesn't doesn't evoke feelings of christmas in me does it in you well i guess it was supposed to be see this is something that you know british people can't understand but sometimes in california it's christmas but to us it looks like summer <laughs> yeah true we expect you know people bundled up hats coats no leaves just very grey or leaden sky, you know, very, very depressing. Or bundled up singing carols at the door. And yeah, and then like fairy lights, anywhere you can stick them. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it was supposed to be Christmas time. Yeah, so the song's about 
um, you know, a, a breakup and she's kind of wanting to escape from, you know, the pain of all that. But I was reading that it's sort of thought to be inspired by um, her relationship with Graham Nash. And it did make me laugh when, um, when I read that because the band that I saw uh, a couple of nights ago, um, or, well, the singer that I saw a couple of nights ago, who's one of you know my absolute idols, Mark Morris from a, a little British outfit called the Blue Tones. <laughs> <Hall pass>. um, <laughs> he was playing with uh, another couple of um, guys who were in other bands that were quite famous in the 90s. Um, in the UK at the time, Dodgy and um, uh, the Seahorses. And at the end, all three of them came on and performed songs together. And there was a running joke throughout um, all of their performances that they were liking themselves to Crosby, Stills and Nash, not Crosby, Stills and Nash, Nash and Young, because, you know, Young is just, you know, way too up there. But they were getting the crowd to sort of, you know, encouraging them to come up to them after the gig and, and tell them which one, or tell the other two which one was Nash, because basically no one wanted to be Nash. And I thought, oh, <laughs> poor, poor Graham. So, yeah, I won't say which one I thought was Nash. but At least Joni wrote a song about him then, eh? Yeah, exactly. Well, my dad told me that uh, Thunderclap Newton, which is the Something in the Air track, is actually Pete Townsend and Kit, and Kit Lambert as a side project collaboration, which I did not know. Thunderclap was, I think, Kit Lambert's nickname or one of them. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't know that till this morning either. Fun fact. <laughs> was it Thanks, Dad. I was like, actually, Dad, maybe you should come on this podcast. <laughs> he has on-the-ground information. <laughs> was there. So I guess in an early draft of the script, there was going to be a character named Ricky Fedora that Cameron Crowe wrote specifically for David Bowie. Oh. Hmm. I'd had something about how he was hoping to cast... Eric, or like he promised Eric Stoltz a role in all of his films and it didn't work out for Almost Famous, but that he was hoping that he could have been David Bowie and it didn't work out for some reason. I don't know. I could have got that wrong. I did not read that. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he did try to fit Bowie into the film. Do you know, do you know why that didn't happen? Bowie? <laughs> Because the movie's long enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would. I, I mean, I feel like it might almost spoil it as well to have an actual. You know, they talk about so many bands. You almost kind of forget you don't actually see any other bands. You know. Yeah, I think it would Humble spoil. And free and you know. Yeah, I think the, yeah the magic kind of yeah maybe it wouldn't work. It would have been too much like a sort of cameo or I don't know. It would have been weird. I think thinking about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they stick out a bit too much sometimes. But I, I'm sure that it was something to do with David Bowie's schedule or whatever, isn't it? But there is a bit of Bowie in this, isn't there? The, um, Lou Reed's I'm Waiting for the Man. I think mm. it's formed by Bowie on, on on the soundtrack, isn't it? It is. And he has that obsessive kid following him. Yeah. I love the, the diehard fans and how they kind of interact with it. It's so good. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> They're just there for the music. Yeah, so Cameron Crowe said out of all the stories he has from the 70s that he wanted to fit in the movie, there was one where he covered Bowie for Rolling Stone and Playboy, and uh, it was during station to, the Station to Station recordings, and he would drive him around, but uh, he didn't think anyone would believe 
that David Bowie would drive this kid around in the movie. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, so much crazy stuff has happened to Cameron Crowe. It, it is just a preposterous, really. Like I said, he's a 16-year-old boy who's basically just ditching school to go on tour with the band. Like, that sounds like a total fantasy. Yeah. I mean, no <laughs> wonder his mum was concerned, really. She is made out to be a bit kind of like neurotic and stuff. But you know what, though? You and I can both attest to the fact that as older sisters to younger brothers, yeah, we were not allowed to do anything. And then as soon as the brother comes along and, and he's a good two or three years younger than when you ever asked. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, of course, you know. It's different because they're younger, you. you've been through it, and it's different because they're a boy, yeah. frankly. Yeah, yeah. I think this is about the time where I'm going to tell my tale of woe about <laughs> how I wasn't allowed to go to Glastonbury at 18, but my brother was allowed to go to Reading Festival at 15 with the student teacher from Australia. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. Yeah. Wow, Low that was a good lineup. Reading 95, that would have been then. Yeah. Smashing Pumpkins. Oh. Yeah, no, it was amazing, and God knows. What I didn't get to the year after I was 16. Wasn't that like Foo Fighters on the second stage? I literally couldn't right. even look because I was so jealous and furious <laughs> with my parents. Let's <laughs> get like, you out of your minds. He's a child. <laughs> Why didn't you chaperone him? I was away for some reason. I was, oh, I was in France being an au pair. <laughs> Listening to you were already bloody looking after children. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Mm. My brother is the Cameron Crow in this story, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Speaking of Elton John again, though, apparently Cameron Crow admitted that, um, uh, who is it that plays William? Patrick. Patrick Fugit. Mm. Fugit. Fugit. <laughs> Fugit, I guess I say. Apparently he just like couldn't, couldn't sing on Time Dance at all. And they kind of had to, you know, fiddle with the sound afterwards to oh. kind of drown out his warblings <laughs> oh i read i read Let's that he, he only really was only a fan of chumber wumba at the time yeah i don't think he knew because yeah because he was like younger than us i think wasn't he yeah no i think he was yeah mm-hmm. and he was like they said do you like music and he was like what i've got the chumber wumba album <laughs> i'd heard that yeah he didn't he thought led zeppelin was like one guy called led zeppelin <laughs> <laughs> do you know apparently they're called led zeppelin Spelt L-E-D because the manager said no one's, everyone's going to call you Lead Zeppelin if you don't take it. That's a good point, though. It is. Yeah. I've absolutely called them Lead Zeppelin. <laughs> I, re- I respect that. So Rolling Stone asked Cameron Crowe about the connection between Citizen Dick and Stillwater, or basically what he learned from creating Citizen Dick, since that was also a fictional band. Mm-hmm. Mm. And his response was uh, to come up with a better name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Citizen Six is a great name. We've got T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> we should wear them at the same time just to be extra Yeah, cool. when we finally get to see Pearl Jam again, that's when we're going to be wearing them down the front with our Citizen Dick banner. Yes. And Stone's going to be there going like, what? I know. Citizen I, Dick? I was telling Hannah I was very disturbed to hear a podcast um, that Stone Grossard was on talking about his latest band painted shield and they were talking it singles came up and and the guy was like oh yeah what was what was the band in that that you guys were supposed to be in and stone couldn't remember and i honestly i felt heartbroken about it <laughs> 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 it doesn't 
it. Come on. How could you forget that? It's like a household name in our households. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing he probably hasn't seen the movie as many times as us, Anna. <laughs> Maybe that one time. <laughs> Just in it, damn it. <laughs> Cameron Crowe said that Citizen Dick was middle school and Stillwater was high school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Definitely when it comes down to your, your lead man. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely seen it all, hasn't he? Because his lead guy is always, like, cocky and a bit of a dick. <laughs> what would the college band have been? But then? a nice dish. A nice guy. <laughs> We're going to find out probably in a few years, right? Yeah. His that's what I want to hear. <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've talked singles, and obviously Almost Famous has a ton of music as well. A ton of great music. I don't think Cameron Crowe gets enough respect as like having these really great soundtracks. Like, you know, everyone talks about Tarantino or Wes Anderson, but I believe Cameron Crowe was offered Nirvana's You Know You Were Right for Vanilla Sky, but he turned it down. Wow. Rude. I probably haven't seen that film since it was made. I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. It yeah. was a, it was a remake though, wasn't it? it? Wasn't an original movie by wasn't it a remake of a, a Spanish film? And she had yes. been in the original. Is that yeah, right? Penelope. Yeah, that's well. There you go. There, there's that's, that's called like Open Your movie. Eyes or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I, I have seen that. the original. I love her. She's fantastic. She's great. Him so much. He does Tom Cruise very well. He does. Tom Cruise does Tom Cruise. War of the Worlds. He was like, hello, I'm Tom Cruise, saving the world again. And, you know, it worked. (laughs) You can't expect too much from him, really. (laughs) I mean, outside of the bounds of Tom Cruise. Oh, Search and Destroy. Now that is a top track. I love that. Love the Stooges. So I think it's about the Vietnam War, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> oh, but there's another David Bowie link there. So it was, um, so yeah, it was from their Raw Power album that came out in 1973, which is, I think, where we've said that's when Almost Famous was set, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, early 70s. Yeah, and then in 1997, along with the rest of the songs on, on that album, it was um, remixed and remastered by Iggy and Bruce Dickinson. Uh, and it was a lot more aggressive and stripped down than the original version, which had been mixed by David Bowie. Hmm. Yeah, we did a whole episode on Velvet Goldmine about the Bowie Iggy Pop relationship. Oh, to be a fly on the wall hmm. <laughs> in those days. Yeah, going back to Tiny, Tiny Dancer, actually. My dad was telling me that uh, Bernie Toppin wrote the lyrics for his first wife, oh. who was the seamstress for a band and a dancer. In LA. <laughs> oh, wow. In case you were wondering. Yeah, I still can't get over the fact that it wasn't a single. But apparently VH1 then um, aired a special version of the music video, which had the, you know, that whole tour bus scene where they're singing and stuff, with the scripted dialogue. And, uh, yeah, like, it, people went crazy for it, as you can imagine. Oh, another track would be the, um, the Who track, Sparks, which, again, for me is like a real moment in the film where it just takes you back to exactly, you know, what's going on, which comes from Tommy, because you've, you've seen The Who, Hannah, haven't you, fairly recently? Oh, I have, yes. Well, it feels like forever ago now, but yeah, because uh, Eddie Vedder was supporting them. Um, right, yes. Yeah. Up in London, wasn't it? Three yeah. years ago? I don't know, whenever life was 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A million years ago. <laughs> well, we could do those kind of things. We can do them again now a little bit to some degree, but yeah. Did they do anything from Tommy? Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. I don't think they did Sparks, but yeah, they did a bunch of Tommy stuff. But yeah, that's when that's when he meets Lester Bangs, isn't it, for the first time? Isn't yeah, it's it? around that time when yeah, he's yeah. kind of wandering around and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and he's like... When I knew that up. it was about a deaf, dumb and blind boy, the rock opera. Um, but yeah, they did Pimple Wizard, yeah. Oh, but I didn't know that Townsend came up with the concept after being introduced to the works of... Meher Baba, one of these spiritual, what, what do you want to call it? I don't know. I'm trying not to say Guru? it. I don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, okay. One of these wise men. You What's know. that got to do with Pimble? Well, he was translating it, you know, like it's all about the vibrations, you know, because like Tommy is a kid who, you know, is deaf and blind, mm. but he can still feel the world through vibration it's a fairly obscure way of <laughs> translating that message but uh, so yeah I didn't know that and I also didn't know that Tommy is uh, <clears throat> neglected tortured and molested in it yeah no it's a it's grim mm. don't want to point out that obvious link with Pete yeah Townsend no don't do that let's not, let's not go there again <laughs> isn't there the narrator from Tommy isn't he also on the Blur song Park Life Oh, oh that Phil guy. Daniels. Yeah. 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 Oh, God, I forgot about him. Yeah. Child porn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let it go, Pete. I'm not. I had a conversation with my parents about this and they were like, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe he really, maybe he really was just researching it. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> anyway, Hannah hates Moving me. On. Moving on. Moving <laughs> on. So I guess when Pearl Jam first came out with 10, a lot of critics, at least stateside, kind of compared Pearl Jam to uh, Zeppelin. But I think as they've evolved, everyone kind of equates Pearl Jam to the Who. Well, that's Thoughts? definitely a similarity that yeah. um, Eddie would absolutely <laughs> encourage. <laughs> and I would not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like lately as well, Pearl Jam have been taking on taking on you know a lot of other influences that we haven't really seen before coming through them, you know, channeled as influences. Like the um the David Byrne influence and the talking yeah, thing with that's dance. a clever influence, yeah. And uh I think his latest offering, which is for the Sean Penn new movie. Flag Day. Yeah, that's been um uh, heavily compared to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, again yeah, I think he's yeah. probably encouraged to. Yeah, some beautiful stuff. But Glenn Hansel stuff on that as well as oh lovely yeah and as you know i'm not a massive fan of his solo stuff the banjo thing it's not doing it oh all right is- ukulele ukulele yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not really feeling it i don't really like it but still still absolutely in it with pearl jam all the way <laughs> i need we my- digress again whenever you go down the pearl jam route yeah i need my better electric <laughs> <laughs> They also need a cat- an electric cattle prod to just get you back on track. <laughs> cattle prod for better with his bloody ukulele. <laughs> oh dear. So what's your favourite song on the soundtrack, Ryan? I'd probably have to go with the Stooges or the MC5. Oh. Yeah, we've not talked about that one. So when I saw the movie, you know, I was at, like graduating high school, freshman year of college. So, 
you know, I needed things that were a little bit more immediate to me. Like classic rock was still kind of like, oh, that's what like old people listen to. <laughs> so I didn't get into a lot of these other bands until much later in life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I can relate to that too. Like I love the movie, but like I can tell you in the year 2000, I had no idea that Ronnie Wood was in the faces and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, but uh, why would you as as well? Yeah, it's yeah, it's not our generation's music, and I think that's yeah, like you already said at the beginning, Lily, it's what Cameron Crowe was kind of trying to do: introduce a new generation to to this stuff. Because it was actually the music of my childhood, thanks to my dad. But yeah. we were absolutely brought up on Free Steely Dan. Um, just not the songs that were on this soundtrack yeah yeah yeah. i appreciate that because you know i think you mentioned it earlier in the episode when when you see a movie that's a period piece it's like oh it's the 80s so like let's find the most new wavy pop song so you know you're in the 80s you know let's put blue monday by new order on there so you know exactly what time period this is yeah and here, you know, it's more of a vibe, right? Like it's a lot of 70s vibe, not 70s hits. Yeah. Although actually you just um, reminded me, there is one um, that is a lot more contemporary. So Small Time Blues uh, by Pete Droge, which is like, um, you know, it's the, the it's a, a couple of them. Well, Pete Droge is one of the musicians and there's another musician. They're playing it uh, acoustically in the hotel scene, you know, in the Hyatt. There's that scene where... They're playing a song. Do you remember it? Okay, well, it's there. But Pete Droge is a Seattle. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think we've, ta- we've talked about him before. In one of our podcasts, we've talked about Dumb and Dumber, and he contributes a song to the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack as well. Um, and I find him really interesting because he's done a lot of work with um, with lots of Seattle musicians, but particularly with Stone Gossard as well. So, whoop, whoop. yeah, not a 70s, that one. Yeah, I remember Pete Droge in the 90s, and he would pop up everywhere, and I didn't know anyone who actually, you know, was a big fan of his. Yeah, no, I think he's one of, he's probably a bit like, well, not like Robert Plant at all, but in that he's, you know, been a session musician and probably played in a lot of stuff that you just, yeah, you wouldn't know. You heard it and you didn't know it was him. Although I will say that there's still water music on, on this soundtrack. Once you know it's Mike McCready... You like kick yourself. Of like course. who else yeah, could yeah. do that? Yeah. You know that he's just perfectly suited to seventies music. You know, I think it's a shame he doesn't do more of it. Actually, yeah. I mean, I guess he could just start another band. I feel like everyone in Pearl Jam has like three bands now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seems like it. But um, they do seem to work a hell of a lot better when they do it together. Like it amazes me how many other bands they can contribute music to and be like, well, I've got enough for Pearl Jam still. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I probably do listen to Stone Gossard's projects and like them the most because it really his his kind of funk contributions to Pearl Jam. I enjoy the most. Mm. So when he's not present on a track, I feel like you can tell. Mm. Um, And it, that doesn't mean that like a Jeff Amen track is not um, also very particular to him and great, but it's just that kind of those peppy kind of tunes and he just sort of manages to inject something into it, you know? So I miss him when he's not on it. 
but I never thought of Mike McCready like that so much until I found out his contributions to, to the, you know, the Stillwater music. And I think it's really interesting to hear him coming out and, and, and you can, and you realize you do, you do recognize him and his work, which is really cool. I wonder why he wasn't actually in the film. I think. (laughs) Singles. Maybe they asked him. Maybe they did. Why did he say no? You know, just because you're an amazing guitarist and musician doesn't mean you're brilliant at delivering lines. Like, you know, I mean, I think he stumbled upon that in singles, didn't he? A few times where it was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Is it really? Like, bless. Maybe he didn't like Mark Kozlik either. Chris Cornell, you know, (laughs) he, he went from like basically being the lead role to being the guy that doesn't say anything and just bobs his head a few times, you know. <laughs> and blows thinking, up the car with the stick. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, his delivery wasn't probably what Cameron was looking for at the time. It's a very different movie, but I heard that happen in The Mighty Ducks. They had, like, the star player of the team come out to talk to the kids, but he had no camera presence, so they had to bring out <laughs> one of his teammates to kind of talk to the kids while he just kind of nodded along. <laughs> Brilliant. I've not seen that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mighty Ducks. That's great. That's good. That, that's kind of – that was Joshua Jackson's one of his first movies, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yep. We watched um, We watched that with my kids recently. They, they really enjoyed it, actually, even though they, they were like, so, so wait, so this is like – ice skating and also hockey <laughs> in this country <laughs> they were pretty amazed alone yeah <laughs> i've just actually found my note on pete droge um so another bit um so apparently that the song that i was talking about small time blues was an homage to cosmic american music pioneer graham parsons and emily harris and so that's who pete droge and apparently elaine summers was the uh, was the other was the other musician there but parsons was one of the first act artist that Cameron Crowe had actually interviewed um, for a paper called Music World then um, and he's used his music in uh, in a few other films but for this film he asked Rose to write a new song that sounded Parsons-esque so that's why it's hmm. fun fact <laughs> yeah that's what I always remember about Pete Rose is he was really good at like not like aping other people's sounds but I think that's why I like so many different bands like him is because they see different elements of songs they like, I think, in his work. So it's kind of like he's a musician's musician. Mm. And I think from the outside, he's just kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. He's not derivative, derivative. He's just a musician's musician. <laughs> right? Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so, probably. That's the best way for me to be nice about his music, I guess. <laughs> the musicians musicians yeah oh so the other the other song that is quite interesting is um the rod stewart ronnie wood one every picture tells a story i feel like we've spoken about this at some point before as well lily you know like it, he's, he's talking about like all of his sort of adventures with women all over the world and then he you know comes home after having sort of learned some moral lessons but it's really un pc because he like he talks about like women like in really derogatory terms and um Rod Stewart, Rod Stewart. No. yeah yeah <laughs> how many wives has he had <laughs> yeah the little scallywag got like a thousand children 
but yeah, good song. Just um, don't think it would get released these days. Ah, no. Another music connection with the actors is that Bijou Phillips plays one of the Band-Aids as Estrella Star, and her father was Mamas and the Papas. Oh. So I think she's the half-sister of China Phillips, who's married to Billy Baldwin. Fun fact for you there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Famously of Wilson Phillips. That's right, yeah. But Nancy Wilson is not related to Brian Wilson. No. <laughs> she was. That <laughs> would be weird. Yeah, it would be interesting, actually, if Cameron Crowe did do another movie um, about music and and that it had a band in it that would be his kind of college or graduate group because obviously Nancy Wilson wouldn't have any part in it, which she has famously mm. always been involved in his stuff now. Mm. Um, but the other very, very of her time actress, and I don't know really what's happened to her since, is um, Feruza Bulk, who also plays Band-Aid Sapphire. Yeah. Was she in The Craft, was it? Yes. Yeah. She plays a complete lunatic in The Craft, which is, I'll bet that soundtrack's probably not half bad. I didn't have it ever, but I'm going to look into it. No, she reminds me of, she was, she played Dorothy uh, in Return to Oz. Oh, really? Which was one of the scary movies of my childhood with the Whelans. It was quite frightening. Yes. Actually, it's quite frightening. Dark. Girl, dark. Yeah, very dark. She was amazing in it, though. I only saw it once, didn't really want to see it again. I feel like she could have played that role in Empire Records of Deb, you know? She'd yes, as that. yes. Maybe she was first choice, I don't know. And Robin Tunney was in the craft with her, actually. From Empire Records. All anyway. about that. Connections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, it, isn't it her that says, like, um, does anyone remember laughter? Yes. That's a Led Zeppelin reference, because um, Robert Plant would often put that into live performances of Stairway. <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic in it. She always she is. is so I really don't know uh, where she is and what she's working on, but I love her. She's great. And as far as the cast goes, pretty pretty stacked. I guess Brad Pitt was supposed to be Russell, but he and Cameron Crowe uh, mutually decided that it was not a good fit. Yeah, that would have been so different. And also Sarah Polly, because uh, I think she dropped out around the same time that Brad Pitt did was going to be Penny Lane and I used to did you watch that kids show Ramona as a no, kid no. but I know who she is because she didn't go uh yeah yeah um but I used to love that show and I always think I remember that there was she always talked about um how if she had a kid she wanted to call it Chevrolet I think their family car was a Chevrolet and she just um she loved the name Chevrolet and I always think that when I see a Chevrolet which isn't that often in the UK <laughs> to be fair but um yeah, I thinking of you, Sarah Polly. <laughs> She'll always be Ramona to me. I don't think she would have been that great in the role. In fact, talking about Penny Lane and Goldie Horn, her dad was a musician, wasn't he? Was her he? real dad. Who was her yes. real dad? Um, Bill Hudson. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Kurt Russell. Quite the career in the 70s. So I think they're completely estranged from him now, though. Oh, really? Her and her her brother, who is an um, actor as well. He was in Nashville. I know you don't watch Nashville, but it is so good, and he is so good in it. <laughs> Could we do the uh, Nashville soundtrack? 
Uh, Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> You're on your what own. What do I think of Nashville? <laughs> it's such a good show. <laughs> I haven't caught it. Oh, pure entertainment. It's so good. But you really are on your own, Lily. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll be doing that podcast by myself. <laughs> you're missing out guys what can i say what can i say so how did the film do out there it was considered kind of a flop over here because it didn't make its budget back i mean it had a mega budget i mean like just the rights for all the music must have cost an absolute bomb um i I don't i don't remember it flopping here though i feel like it was it was well received yeah yeah i mean i went to see it in the movies so yeah me too yeah, yeah, I loved it. I don't know anyone that watched the film didn't love it, so. No. I mean, yeah, it, it I feel the same way. Was, was it? We're probably so much more of a smaller audience, though, mm. you know, just as a nation. So, Plus, it would have probably come out in America a good few months, if not six months, before it ever came out here back then. Um, it used to be completely ridiculous how long we'd have to wait. You know, other European countries would get movies way before we ever did. So we probably had loads of hype and we were just primed you know we were ready for it so so unfair we're such a backwater (laughs) i know i really you know it's good that things have sort of sped up a little bit but it was absolutely ridiculous in the 90s how how long we used to have to wait for new releases and yet in france it would come out almost exactly the same time in america and they had to dub it yeah and brexit hadn't even happened then (laughs) (laughs) crazy times Do they do big premieres in in the UK for movies like this, or is it just like the big oh, action yeah. movies? Yeah. Oh yeah, they Leicester Square. Yeah, red carpet. They roll it all out. Yeah, they tend to be in <laughs> mainly the same place, <laughs> Leicester Square, uh, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> and it's not even a particularly nice part of London, is it? It's always a little bit scuzzy and. Mm. But that's yeah. the only reason I would expect any delay. If- yeah, I know it's some licensing thing, or it was at that time. Very frustrating. Oh, Especially when you were desperate to, to, to watch something and there was no downloading or any of that good stuff back then. So I feel like this is like his last, like, unanimous, or his last, like, universally beloved film. What, what ended his hot streak, do you think? Oh, now what came after Almost Famous? Maybe it was the Tom Cruise thing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it was Vanilla Sky and then Elizabeth Town. There's your answer. Oh, Elizabeth Tom Cruise. Elizabeth Town was terrible. <laughs> Didn't it have that British actor in it? Orlando Bloom. Yes. He will kill anything unless he's dressed as an elf. Do you know what? I used to love Orlando Bloom Bloom, until I read an article that I shared with you not that long ago. It was only like two or three months ago. And um, yeah, he's just become completely LA unhinged. Like, I think it's, who's he with now? Katie, what's her face? Oh, Katie Perry. Yeah, Yeah. 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 No, he's totally lost yeah, sort yeah. of reality. I'd, I'd say it's a combination of Orlando Bloom and Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's terrible, actually, because um, Jerry Maguire did very well. Didn't it? Everybody loved that. Mm. However, Jerry Maguire was before Almost Famous, so I guess it doesn't count. And the yeah, rest, honestly, I'd struggle to name to name anything after that. Pearl Jam 20. I know he did Pearl Jam 20, <laughs> but you know he didn't really have to work that hard for that one. You know, I'd say like a good 75% of that's in the bag. 
and just yeah. needs arranging and whatnot. Plus, they're like his really good pals. So, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I think he did an amazing job. I think I, Pals I did watch was great. That that uh, the we bought a zoo one. I did watch that. It was it was all right. No, I didn't. I mean, I just hated the title so much. I couldn't imagine ever liking it. And then yeah, I'd be really okay. upset. So I gave it a miss. <laughs> Tom Cruise, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, uh, Lily and Hannah, for coming back to the podcast. Thanks for having us again. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. So you can find Society Owes Me a Gen X podcast on all podcast platforms. And they go through the alphabet A through Z, Gen X style. That's right. We try. (laughs) (laughs) What day do new episodes drop? Uh, Fridays, usually. Every week. Fridays every week, yeah. No breaks for us. (laughs) Power through. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Um, Hopefully we'll have you on again. And uh, I guess we'll see you soon. Until next time. Take care. See you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.